Hello and welcome to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Tom Harris and I'm delighted to be joined by the one and only Rory Barlow for this World Cup round of 16 preview and specifically Tuesday afternoon's encounter between Luis Enrique Spain and Walid Regragui's high-flying Moroccan side. For three or four unbelievable minutes on Thursday, it looked as if we weren't going to be recording this podcast as Costa Rica took a sensational lead against Germany to send Spain into third place in Group E. But ironically enough, it was Hansi Flick's men who actually ended up scoring the goals to send the Spanish through. The side that we all thought Luis Enrique's men would be competing directly against, really, as a late German combat cleared Costa Rica out of the way for Spain to progress, despite their own rather disappointing defeat to Japan. But Rory, very typical of this World Cup, I think, for the group stage to go right down to the wire like it did. Before we get into the details of Spain's complicated route to the round of 16, how are you doing and how have you been enjoying this rollercoaster of a World Cup in Qatar? Yeah, I'm not doing too badly. Um, I feel like it has been uh, one of the most entertaining World Cups on the pitch, no doubt. I mean, the last sort of few sort of games in the group stage were absolutely electric. The, the sort of two games going on side by side, which we will, of course, lose for the next World Cup. Thank you, FIFA. Um, and then... Yeah, the, the, I think the Australia game and the Netherlands game, I think they were more or less sort of pretty comfortable wins, but I thought there were there were points of interest and uh, certainly the Argentina game, Australia with that chance right at the end uh, was was entertaining. So yeah, I, I have to say I'm really enjoying the World Cup in terms of the football itself. So. Yeah, it's been brilliant. I mean, that Uruguay-South Korea climax was absolutely thrilling to watch, I thought. And I think here at La Liga Lowdown, we're just happy that Spain came out on the right side of all the twists and turns in Group E, which didn't really seem like they were going to come after that opening game. You know, a 7-0 win over the Costa Rica side that very nearly knocked Spain out. So from that game, Rory, so comfortable and, and effortless as it seemed, you know, it seems like a long time ago now, to a 2-1 defeat to Japan, where do you think it started to unravel slightly for Spain? Yeah, I think, I mean, Luis Enrique was royally irritated, peed off um, for, for one of a better word. I think he came out and he said after the game that he said, Ojo con Japón. He said, like, watch out for Japan, look out for them because they will come at you. And as soon as they came out at halftime, they went into collapse mode, as, they, as he called it. So, I mean, that in itself is a concern that Luis Enrique not only saw the problem, but Spain or him, one of the two, the symbiosis of the two could not work out the issue. And the fact that even though that I think they would have been prepared for Japan to come out at them, and you saw in that it was kind of a similar thing to the Germany game in, in a sense, in the fact that it was 10, 15 minutes of really intense pressing, going at them, getting in behind. And Japan had a go at them, and Spain couldn't sort of hold up. I mean, the piece that I wrote on the Substack, Substack LLL Online, was about how uh, maybe they could be doing with a little bit more sort of, of Real Madrid and what I mean by that is kind of control I mean being able to know that things are going against you that the other team is having success and just being able to put your foot on the ball ensure that you maybe make one or two of those fouls they don't have a Luka Modric but you can give the ball to a Pedri a Busquets a Gavi and they should be able to sort of see their way through these moments which they've struggled to but that's where Spain is going to have to make the difference in these games so I think yeah Spain I mean We've always known that this side is perhaps not filled with the same kind of quality of the sides that won in the Euros in the 2010 World Cup. And at the back, they are going to have a weakness, I think. I mean, we'll come on to the selections, but those things are going to have a, a part to play in the fact that this Spain can make fewer errors because they don't have as much quality to fix it with. 
but they need to learn to sort of find their way through those tricky spells, that, that adversity. And if you want to look at it with silver lining glass, after they've learned their lesson in theory from this Japan game, and then they will be able to apply it later in the competition. Yeah, I would highly recommend Rory's piece on our Substack. That's llonline.substack.com. Obviously, a few changes made to that lineup in uh, against Japan. You know, the likes of Alba Morata, Nico Williams, Aspilicueta, Pau Torres, Alejandro Valle, all coming in. But that midfield three remained the same, Rory. Does that worry you slightly from a fitness perspective that the likes of Sergio Busquets, who's played 243 minutes, Pedri 236, Gavi 222. Can they keep on going for all of the knockout stage? Yeah, I was I was quite surprised to see, see them starting the game and then playing most of it as well. I think Luis Enrique maybe went in with that midfield thinking that they would shut the game down, that they would get the job done and then found themselves 2-1 down after about 55 minutes and so had to sort of keep them on or play them longer than they maybe would have liked. I do think there'll be changes either in this game or the next game, depending on what Luis Enrique sees in terms of profiles, in terms of who he wants to use. I could very much see Marco Chirente or Koke coming into this game against Morocco just for that extra bit of legs, that extra bit of sort of assurance. I think Koke, I can see why he brought him on against Germany and he had a very poor impact for my money in the sort of latter stages of that Germany game. I think he was part of the reason that Germany were able to get back into it and create those chances. But theoretically, if you get the good Koke, if you get the Koke that we're used to, then he makes sense as a change. And we saw that in the Euros last year. You had Pedri Busquets and Koke was kind of the, the midfield free of choice. And Gavi brings a lot of intensity. And he brings a lot of running sort of beyond the, the front three, which I think is what Lewis Indique likes. And he likes the fact that he stretches him out. I think he probably sees a little bit of himself in Gavi as well. And, and that also helps. But I think for a knockout time, maybe he turns to Koke in this one just to kind of settle the side in. Then you can bring Gavi on as an impact substitute and Gavi in the last 20 minutes when you're when you've been running around after Spain in theory all game and your calves are starting to hurt and then Gavi starts nipping at them it's not exactly what you want if you're the opposition. Yeah really interesting I mean another thing I've seen online is a really interesting analysis of Spain's press starting to suffer a little bit when in particular Alvaro Morata comes on um, you know, without this false nine profile, you know, in the Germany game, for example, Morata, you know, he obviously came on and brought that goal and added that goal scoring touch, you know, the kind of penetration. But he also, you know, allowed Germany's defenders to play through that first line a little bit more easily than, the, you know, the Asensio as a deeper false nine. You know, he, he protected that midfield a bit more. It, I think it's a bit of a dilemma, really. I mean, going into these knockout ties, do you start Alvaro Morata or do you revert back to that formula that worked so well against Costa Rica, that false nine of Asensio and then Olmo and Torres out wide? Personally, I would. I think I like Morata. I, I am somewhat surprised by that kind of analysis and research, not because necessarily that I'd notice it to be, to be wrong or incorrect, but Alvaro Morata has always been sold to us as the the striker who works like a dog and even if he doesn't score then he's running so much and he's uh he's, he's causing so many problems for the defense pressing so well that that kind of levels out his impact in terms of maybe missing one or two chances that other strikers might take so it is surprising that Murat is perhaps impacting that negatively but then i guess you look at the way Luis Enrique is used to sense you and perhaps that does back up that um idea that Murata isn't being so effective defensively Personally, I like Morata because he runs in behind. I think he gives, particularly if you do have somebody else coming from midfield, if you do have a Gavi 
or a Pedri or somebody else getting into the box, then that Murata allows you to kind of drag the defence one way. Whereas with Asensio, I think maybe you get that sort of extra body in midfield to a certain sense because he'll drop deep and you'll he'll dominate those central areas a little bit more. But then it does make your attack more one-dimensional in a sense. And I think what I mean by that is you need to have the perfect move for Asensio to be on the end of it. Whereas Alvaro Morata is a wee bit more sort of, yeah, dirty and scruffy and scrappy and he'll latch onto things and chase things down, whereas that's just not really a sense of his game and he's not a natural forward in that sense. So personally, I'd start Morata. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, Tom. Do you have a preference one way or the other? Yeah, that is really interesting because like, like you say, before I saw these kind of things on Twitter, I think it was John McKenzie actually, obviously a very respected analyst. And I was thinking the same thing, you know, Alvaro Morata is a very high pressing, very hard working striker, but the the examples that I did illustrate, you know, it, it did seem a lot easier for Germany to pick up the balls, particularly for Nicolas Sula and kind of run through the defence. And, and Alvaro Morata always seemed to be starting behind Sula rather than in front of him, which is what Asensio was doing and blocking off these passing lanes. So. Very interesting perspective to look at it. But yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you. I mean, if you look at that Germany game, obviously, you know, they did lose that slight bit of control, but nobody in that Spanish squad, I think, scores that goal that Alvon Morata scored in terms of that outside of a boot finish to just flick it up over a goalkeeper. Even Ansu Fati, who's a prodigious finisher, I don't think he quite has that goal-scoring touch that Alvon Morata has at times. And I think in a game against Morocco, you know, we're going to see it's going to be competitive. I think, yeah, I think... Alvaro Morata brings what you need. I mean, I mentioned Ansu Fati there. He's another player who he came on for half an hour or so against Japan. Looked bright, but those were his first 30 minutes of a tournament. What What do you think, obviously being a Barcelona fan and following him closely, do you think he should maybe have a little bit more time as his tournament goes on? Honestly, no. I think he's he's a finisher for me in the sense that he's there for the closing stages of game. If they need a goal, if they have the other team sort of Pend into their own half, and and if it, I think it's a situation where yeah, if you need Ansu Fati to come on and try and get you a goal, because that's what he has for me. In my, in my view, his relationship with the goal, his relationship with danger, is what singles him out at this current point. And maybe he comes back when he has a little bit more fitness, when he has a bit more sharpness to be that sort of player that can beat a man and and sort of go in or outside and then get shot off. Right now. He's a one or two touch guy for me in the box, and that's where he's most dangerous. I think that's where you've seen him be at his most effective for Barcelona. And and even if he's been maybe sloppy or, or rusty at times for Barcelona, it's just those sort of very sort of flicker plays, those very sort of lightning sharp things that he does in and around the box that make the difference. You look at the Real Madrid game, where it's his ball across for Ferran Torres in the classical, and that's that's just something that Barcelona hadn't really had. And all it is, is uh, Jordi Alba plays a nice ball into him, takes a touch, beats the defender sort of very quickly and plays the ball across the box. He just has that relationship and he knows. And there's another chance as well where he sort of comes across the near post and I think he sort of gets something on it and doesn't quite hit the target in that game in particular. But I think that's the illustration of what Ansu Fati is, is that maybe he's the least well-rounded of Spain's players right now. And I think he's probably the least sort of... Um, what's the word, enchufado connected, sort of wired in of their attackers. But I think for me, he's a closer right now rather than somebody that you want to be starting because I think that's where his impact is going to be biggest. Excellent point. Yeah, I mean, just to close off this part, we, we've talked about the strikers, we've talked about the midfield, and, you know, we've talked about the defence a little bit. I think we have to end by talking about the goalkeeper. And 
Obviously, a lot was made of um, Luis Enrique's decision not to take David De Gea, for example. But despite that trust from Enrique, you know, he is a goalkeeper prone to the occasional mistake. And if we cast our mind back to the Euros last year when he let that Pedri back pass kind of slide under his foot and into the net for a crazy own goal against Croatia. And the second Japanese goal, yeah, he looked a bit panicked on the ball. The ball out to the left back wasn't fantastic and he probably should have dealt with the resulting shot on goal from the Japanese player. But yeah, if you're Luis Enrique, you put so much faith into your goalkeeper, you can't go around changing it too much now. We're getting into the business end of a competition, can you? Yeah, I mean, I see no no possibility of Luis Enrique changing him. I think Unai Simon has been one of those players that Luis Enrique has used to make a point this is my guy, I don't care what you say about him, how you criticise him, he does exactly what I want to do in the way that I want him to do it, and that's why I'm going to pick him. And, and he's very much sort of one of the symbols of he might not be the best goalkeeper that Spain have, he might not be the best shot stopper that Spain have, but he's the one that I want and the one that fits my needs best. And it's something that we've gone over um, sort of without end that Luis Enrique doesn't necessarily pick the best players, he picks the players that do the job and fit his needs most. And Unai Simon, quite apart from being that, is somebody that he's shown a lot of confidence in. I think, yeah, it was a big mistake. I don't think he can afford to make another one without sort of the, the ceiling of the Spanish press falling in on him. But uh, but yeah, I think he'll be there. And regardless of what happens to him in terms of errors, he does seem to be able to maintain his own confidence, which is almost a vital factor if you are going to make mistakes. Yeah, certainly not a system for the faint-hearted, you know, the way Luis Enrique likes his defenders and his goalkeepers to be brave and progressive on the ball. And Unai Simon is, is a fantastic goalkeeper to carry out those duties and, you know, he's made mistakes before and we'll see him pick himself up and dust himself off and get ready to go once again and hopefully play an important part in seeing Spain through to the next round. That's all for part one. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back shortly after the ad breaks to talk a little bit more about Spain's intriguing opposition, Walid Regragi's unbeaten Morocco. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
Hello and welcome back to part two of this La Liga Lowdown preview podcast where Rory Barlow and myself, Tom Harris, are looking ahead to Spain's round of 16 tie with Morocco. We've spoken plenty about Luis Enrique and Spain and what we expect to see in terms of personnel and tactically in this coming Tuesday. But now it's time to turn our attention to Morocco who have had an incredible campaign so far in Qatar, perhaps unexpectedly winning Group F going unbeaten and of course beating Belgium by two goals to nil and perhaps one of the best results in the North African nation's recent history. But they have, you know, coming into this tournament, had a bit of managerial upheaval. Their Bosnian manager, Vahid Halil Hodzic, was sacked despite going unbeaten in World Cup qualifying. But he did fall out with a couple of key players, you know, Hakim Ziyech and Nusa Mazraoui were dropped from the side indefinitely and refused to play for the national side. New manager Walid Regragi has come in and he was the manager of Widad in Morocco, their most successful club. He won the treble there, gone straight into international management and is, you know, the first thing he's really done is played the peacemaker and bring these players back in. And, and yeah, just looking at the performances of Ziyech in particular, it really seems as if he's reaping the rewards. Yeah, certainly as somebody who supports a nation that perhaps isn't blessed with an, a sort of unstoppable flow of talent, you can maybe fall out with one big player and sort of sort of exile them, but you can't fall out with multiple big players and uh, expect to get away with it because you just don't have the quality to replace it. I think this Morocco side is not quite hellish, but it could be a pretty sort of heated sort of encounter for Spain. And I think it's really one that Luis Enrique won't have liked to see come out of the draw. I think you look at the way Japan plays, I think perhaps Morocco or capable of similar you've got the added element of this is kind of a southern mediterranean derby across the the strait of gibraltar i think yeah this is a not a nice tie for them i think morocco i've been well i mean you can sort of come on to it yourself because i know you've been watching them pretty closely as well but i think i've been highly impressed with the way that they've just essentially kept every side they've played at like at arm's length i mean of the three ties i think canada had the least success trying to break their defense down I think Belgium were sort of well beaten. They were pretty much, yeah, kept at bay. And this Croatia side that I think it's maybe, it's not, not a good side, it's the 2018 side, but the way that Morocco sort of, yeah, managed to managed to shut them out, I think it's, it's pretty unusual for this Croatia side to be so sort of, uh, yeah, kept down to a bare minimum of chances. And uh, yeah, that's the problem for Spain because you always do get a chance. You always get a spell. Morocco will have that style. They have enough about them to, to put Spain under pressure. But uh, do Spain have enough to break them down is, is a big question. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Morocco aren't going to be scared of Spain. That's that's the thing to point out because, like you said, Belgium was a 2-0 win and it looks rather comfortable, to be honest. I know we, you know we've all got our own opinions about the Belgium and this end of this golden generation, but Morocco dealt with them quite comfortably. And Croatia, like you said, 0.52 XG they had in that game, Croatia. So really limiting a very talented front line to, to very little. But obviously, aside from the defensive, you look at this Moroccan side and the danger seems to be down that right-hand side. There's Hakim Ziyech, who we were talking about before. He's already scored and assisted in this tournament. And he really enjoys operating in that kind of half space and cutting onto his left foot leaving then space for Akraf Hakimi of PSG to to bomb, you know, on the overlap down the wing. It's it's quite a scary prospect. And Jordi Alba, as, as you know, he looks like he'll probably be starting this game. He's been quite adventurous this tournament, but I think we're going to have to see him reined in a little bit here, aren't we? 
Probably, although I will say Jordi Alba, I think the way that Luis Enrique has used him more than more than anything else has been to play that final pass. He's been very sort of keen to emphasise Jordi Alba plays a good final pass in the final third. And I think if you see where he's been kind of operating it, it is as kind of a wide player, but he's not sort of at the byline. He's not doing the same thing that he used to do, for instance, when Messi was at Barcelona or perhaps earlier in his Spain days where he used to sort of career beyond the, the forwards even and sort of, yeah, really getting behind the defence. He's been sort of playing angled balls into the strikers, into the midfielders. That's the way Luis Enrique has been using them. So I think that saves him 20 yards um, against the likes of Akraf Hakimi or, or even Ziyech. And I think if I were Luis Enrique, I'd be starting Cesar Azpilicueta because I would want Azpilicueta, Laporte and whether that's Rodri or with all due respect to a Villarreal fan, not Pau Torres, hopefully. But yeah, whoever he has in those kind of central defender positions, I would have as Piliqueta beside them, have that as kind of a free. That way you've got a wee bit more insurance against Jordi Alba and you can kind of swing Laporte round if they are getting countered. But but yeah, I mean, it has to be a concern because, I mean, we've, we've seen Jordi Alba get hurt. And I think most managers for Barcelona and Luis Enrique, very clearly, have decided that the benefits outweigh the disadvantages of playing Jordi Alba, but it's certainly a worry for uh, for Lewis and Nicky. Something he'll have to plan for is Hakimi because he, he's a force of nature down that right-hand side, it has to be said. He really is. I mean, I can't remember quite which game it was, but I remember I was watching this Morocco side and Hakimi picked up the ball on one occasion, absolutely tore down the right-hand side, past two or three players and into the box he went and... You know, in a game like this where it's a knockout, it's all or nothing, just one moment, it, you know, could decide the game. You can't afford to be letting players like him have too much space. I mean, in terms of other attacking talent in the squad, we do recognise a few names. There's obviously Yusuf Nisidi, who's had a difficult time at Sevilla, it has to be said, over the last couple of seasons. But he scored a fantastic goal against Canada and had another really good finish disallowed. There's also Abde Ezazuli, obviously on loan from Barcelona at Osasuna. He's been... Really good for Osasuna. He came on and had a disastrous cameo, it has to be said, against Croatia <laughs> earlier in the tournament. But yeah, is, is there anyone else you might be looking out for in, in this Moroccan side? There's no one in particular, but I will say just sort of on that in the Siri point, if we can cast our minds back to when in the Siri really kind of made his name, when West Ham were being linked to him for about 40, 50 million euros in that sort of January spell, it was when he scored about nine goals in four or five games for Sevilla. And that does prove to you that if Enesiri does get hot and he, he looks pretty sort of, yeah, enchufado again, uh, there's that word, he looks pretty sort of on it right now. And so if he's confident, able to sort of be hitting shots first time and sort of connecting well with them, then that's a problem because Enesiri's problem has never been getting into the right positions, really. It's more just the fact that he tends not to finish them or he'll dawdle on the ball. But if he's feeling it and if he can hit it first time, connect with it well, then that's where Spain will get caught out. And you only need to look at the way that he's played for Sevilla, but even sort of further back, Leganes, if you remind when he was playing for Leganes and they'd come up against possession-based sides, and the city would be a nightmare because he'd just run for days and he'd get in behind and he'd bully defenders and... That's the sort of thing that Spain will have to be sort of very watchful of. And I think even more than sort of trying to shut him down with Laporte or Rodri or whoever it is, I think they want to shut the supply, the supply line down to end the city as a result of that. 
yeah, hopefully some long overdue good news for Sevilla fans who might be having a return, you know, of an informed striker after this World Cup. But, you know, you're talking about those supply lines and, and looking at this midfield. I mean, a player who's really caught my eye has been Unahi, Azadine Unahi of Angers in France. Very young midfielder, but the way he kind of picks up the ball and skips and slalom through tackles, it's very Musiala-like, very Bellingham-like and... I think he's going to be a really interesting player to keep an eye out on. And obviously on a pitch with, you know, Pedri and potentially Gavi, I think that's going to be a really nice battle in the midfield. But another player in that midfield who is such a physical presence is Sofian Amrabat of, of Fiorentina. And he has been absolutely, he's been a rock, really. He's made six tackles already. There's Amala of Standard Liège and Sabidio of Sampdoria, two really exciting, you know, box-to-box midfielder so it looks like a very balanced midfield and I think yeah like I said this this midfield battle between these two sides could potentially hold the key yeah it's it's where Spain need to dominate I mean if they can't dominate the midfield battle then Spain are in trouble and so if you if yeah I mean if you're like Ragui and you're looking at this and maybe you think you can have some joy against perhaps a, a less sort of imposing midfield if you think you can intimidate them a bit then that could be I, th- I think if you can win that midfield battle or at least impose sort of a, an essence of balance against the Spain side, then maybe the whole thing cracks under the pressure because that, that's where Spain relies on being able to do it. I mean, you were writing this sort of stats piece. I mean, it was at, what, 27 games before Japan that they've had over, had over 60% of the ball and they're going above sort of seven 800 passes pretty much every game. And so if you're shutting that down or if you're causing them issues with that, then that perhaps you see a Spain that's kind of denaturalised and it might not know how, quite how to cope with that. So, so yeah, I think the midfield battle is obviously key. Spain rely on being able to win it, but there's certainly weapons in there that Morocco have to cause Spain bother. And I think those first kind of 20 minutes will be key. I mean, if you look at the way the midfielders that Spain have, I think they'll need to take the sting out of it in a certain sense. They will need to control it. They'll need to find space. You look at the way... Germany sort of did pretty well because they managed to sort of rebalance the match after Spain had had those early stages. But the first 20 minutes against Germany, Spain were very good at finding space under the, under the pressure of the press, getting out. And that causes the other team to sort of shift back, perhaps be slightly more conservative in their press or in, in their tactics. And that gives Spain a little bit of an advantage because then you, you just create that extra yard for yourself because the other team has to compensate for it. So. Yeah, midfield battle will be absolutely key. Do you think Morocco have a chance of winning it, Tom? I certainly do. I mean, you look at this World Cup, you can't you can't rule out anything at the moment. And like I said before, Morocco, I do think they are a side who can spring that one attack and that one devastating attack through the likes of Hakimi, through the likes of Ziyech. Even Sofian Bufal on the other side. I mean, we, we've not heard about him for a long time. So, you know, since he was at Southampton and he scored that goal of a season contender against West Brom, I think it was. You know, it's been a while, but he still has it. He still has that ability to beat a man and, and to cut inside and to curl one into the top corner. So I don't think we can be too careful here. I think we need to, as you said, I think the key is to control the ball in the midfield, take the sting out of it and, and ride that first 20 minutes. But yeah, anything can happen. I mean... Looking forward, if you know Spain do get through this game, it'll be the winners of Portugal versus Switzerland, two teams that Spain have actually faced and beaten in the Nations League recently. So every opportunity there that Spain get through, they could be looking good for a bit of a cup run. But we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. Morocco <laughs> first on Tuesday night, and it's looking set to be a fantastic encounter. Well, thanks so much, Rory, for all your thoughts today. It's been a really interesting episode. 
No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I guess begrudgingly, I wish you good luck in the upcoming game, which this will be after, come out after England have either won or lost against Senegal. Very much looking forward to seeing Jude Bellingham, Bukayo Saka, Phil Foden link up once again. But that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure to follow us at La Liga Lowdown on Twitter and also to subscribe to our Substack, llonline.substack.com, where we're releasing daily articles from our fantastic writers, plenty of news, reaction, build-up and analysis from our fantastic team. But once again, thank you so much for listening and we hope to have you with us next time. How many of your employees are trying to balance paying bills and saving for retirement? Support your participants today and tomorrow with Vanguard Well on Your Way at institutional.vanguard.com. All investing is subject to risk. Advice provided by Vanguard Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor.